Match week two is officially in the books. Another set of stunning games, even better than match week one, to be completely honest. Some absolutely riveting contests this week. Really? What'd you think of it? I mean, this is a fantastic game week too. I thought the first weekend was one of the best opening weekends I'd seen in terms of just drama and intrigue, but I mean, this was fantastic. Obviously, you had United getting absolutely smashed in well, it was a must-win game for their confidence, and then Battle of the Bridge 2.0. I mean, yeah, a birth this of a new rivalry. Yeah, I, I mean, it's already a North London, uh, not a North London derby, but a London derby. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the fact that the managers went at it not once but twice. I mean, I, I had a friend at that game. He said it was incredible. So, oh yeah, I um, forgot he went there. <laughs> um, but before we get into all the uh, shenanigans of Match Week Two. Uh, Ethan, you got an update for us? Yes, I have an update on the uh, bust FPL teams. And this week was a far closer matchup than uh, last week where I pretty much blew Brain out of the water. Mm. But this was only a four-point difference between the teams. My team, Garnacho Cheese, had 31 points, mostly courtesy of a uh, Jose Saw man-of-the-match performance. A very bad yeah, debut on my FPL team. Yeah, Luis Diaz did put in a very good performance. But other than that, my team did pretty well for, you know, a bus team. But no, Jose Saw had an actually fantastic performance, which was, it's not looking to be a good pickup so far, but I'm still confident. <laughs> but your team still beat me out with 35 points, despite Darwin yeah. Nunez putting in a man of the match performance for an FPL bus team. I mean, as far as a performance from a striker, it's as bad as it got in terms yeah, of fantasy. No goals, red card. But shots on target don't mean anything in this. Oh, it's so. down. Okay. No, they don't. And he'll probably be suspended for like three games because it was a straight red and violent conduct. Yes, we like that. And not only does that mean that he'll be out for the next three games, meaning he's not putting on any points, but it also means that Firmino is more likely to play for my team and he's mm. my captain. So it's really. This was all foreseen when I took yeah. the back. So. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but anyway, so now the overall point total, I have 47 points and Brayden has 75. Still, so that still is a right. healthy 75 yeah. points, I think. Um, but the Nunez, the Nunez uh, suspension should help me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You're, you should be picking up a lot of points in these yeah. coming weeks. So, but that is the uh, FPL update. All right, without any further ado, take it away, Arsenal-Leicester. All right, Arsenal-Leicester. A lot of goals in this one, so we'll take you through it. 23rd minute, Gabriel Jesus is off the mark for Arsenal. He picks it up under immense pressure in the box and just absolutely delightfully curls it into the far top corner with zero (laughs) run-up, leaving Danny Ward with no chance. I mean, this was just pure filth. I was standing in the Cedarview Management leasing office getting my keys to my uh, apartment. (laughs) when i when this happened but i was like jumping and thankfully there were no representatives of the front desk because i was like everywhere not only was this a fabulous goal and if anybody on arsenal scored it it would have been you know off the walls however to get off the mark with so much anticipation for gabriel jesus with a goal like this just pure technical quality like you couldn't have dreamt it it is a jesus like goal (laughs) really and it got even better for him in the 35th minute when he doubled arsenal's lead martinelli whips in the corner at the near post and vardy's attempted clearance only heads it to the back post towards gabriel jesus where he's sitting unmarked to head into an empty net it's a dream start for him uh, good good goal scorers find the spots to score goals ronaldo made a living off of just being in the right spot at the right time and he scored a ridiculous amount of goals it's it's a talent that some strikers don't have, and I'm lucky. We're lucky that Gabriel Jesus has that. Absolutely. And one minute later, it almost got even better for him because Ramsdale's long ball found Jesus with only Johnny Evans to beat, and he brilliantly held them off and turned him one on one with Danny Ward. But I have to admit, this is a fantastic recovery challenge from <laughs> Wolfram and Didi. I did not think Gabriel Jesus was going to not take this chance. Like when he was in, I was like, well, this is just the greatest day, home debut of all time. Yeah. Yeah, we're winning the league. This is it. <laughs> right here. <laughs> I mean, we're still winning the league, regardless of whether or when it's not. But um, yeah, I mean, good challenge. 
It certainly was a chance, that's for sure. Yeah, and he was almost left to rue that opportunity because <laughs> Leicester were almost given a chance to get back into this game. 42nd minute, Vardy beats Ramsdale to a Castagna through ball and goes down inside the box and Darren England points to the spot. But a VAR review tells him to go to the monitor where he sees that Ramsdale clearly made almost no contact with Vardy, who didn't do himself any good by very clearly embellishing. Like, he didn't go down in, like, a yeah. very graceful manner. He threw his arms There's, up. It's an art. It's an art. If you say yeah. it's not an art, you're lying. Uh, it, <laughs> if you don't know how to flop, you will never get called. If you know how to so flop, VA... you will get called. Yeah, very simple. Absolutely. So VAR overturns the penalty, and Arsenal go into the break two goals up. But eventually, Leicester did find a way back into the game through a William Saliba own goal. Very unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, a dangerous headed through ball into the path of Jamie Vardy required intervention from the French center back, who inadvertently mm -hmm. heads it into his own net and heads Leicester back into the game. Yeah, his first, I would say, wayward event in mm -hmm. not only his first two Premier League starts, but every second he played in preseason, he was perfect up until yeah. this ball got played over his head. And... Well, I think what was remarkable is that every single fan at Emirates Stadium on Saturday knew that. And they lifted him up like, like he had just scored a goal. Like, it was like, you don't see that shit. Usually you just like say, oh, well, um, I guess we'll just be silent. And, uh, you know, he knows what he did. But yeah. no, everyone in the stadium was like clapping and lifting. This made it a 2-1 game. They mm. were back in this game and they were lifting him up and clapping and saying, all right, let's get on with it. Like, that's. You don't see that, especially from a fan base like Arsenal's, which is notoriously shit. And, like, they booed Xhaka off the field and almost yeah. ruined his Arsenal career. Like, this is a turning point for this fan base. They know that we're in an upper trajectory, and Saliba's a huge part of it. And I'm, I'm proud of the fans at the stadium. I am. Yeah, the fans absolutely love him. He's clearly a fan <laughs> favorite already. And luckily for Saliba, almost probably less than two minutes later, Xhaka yeah. spares his blushes. Because Danny Ward, for some reason, thinks he's a prime 2015 Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> and just tries to, like, one-hand snag, like a Ben White cross. He literally tries to, like, moss Wesley Fofana. I'm not sure what he's doing here. But either way, he doesn't end up celebrating in the end zone. He just ends up dropping the ball right at the feet of Jesus, who squares it for Xhaka to put into an empty net and restore a two-goal lead for Arsenal. Yeah. Xhaka, I mean... Now it's warranted that he's getting so far up the field, right? Because he's a, he's a born yeah. and bred goal scorer. They're basically playing two strikers <laughs> with Jesus and Jaka now. You think it'd be Odegaard high pressing now? Odegaard yeah. drops in. It, it's 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 Granit Jaka. He's got a left foot like Robin Van Persie. But yeah, yeah I mean, but one thing. Much. Go ahead. One thing I will say is that I think Jaka is making poor use of his you know one out of two goals he gets every season. Seriously, because Jaka usually is pretty good with using his goals when the fans are, like, really against him and Arsenal is in, like, really shit form. And now he's using it when That's true. all the fans are behind the club and behind him. <laughs> like, he's got to be wishing he had a, you know, goal in his locker when it all goes Things south. Things go to shit. So, yeah. yeah. That is not a calculated use of a goal from Granit Xhaka, but, you know, nah. nonetheless. But once more, Leicester find a way to just make things way harder than they have to be. Ian Nacho's <laughs> reverse ball finds an overlapping Madison who is at a tight angle and has no choice but to fire a low-driven shot between the legs of Ramsdale, yeah. who just lets it squeeze in. He won't be happy with that one, but either way, Madison has got Leicester within one. I mean, as a former goalkeeper, it's these that look the most savable but are actually the least savable. Like these, if you put it in the right spot in between the keeper's legs, it is very, very tough to save. Just because you need to use your legs to go uh, like east and west, it's very tough to get down then if you're loading your legs to, to jump. And that's why, you know, Courtois gets beat through his legs like six times mm -hmm. a season. Like that's just the way it is. You, if you're trying to make yourself big, especially from a tight angle, you're trying to make yourself big and make a split second decision. Same thing as hockey. You put it through the legs, you put it through the legs. Like, it happens. And it looks really comical and silly and like, oh, a good goalkeeper would have made that save. But it's actually one of the tougher saves to make in, in soccer. Yeah, I felt for Ramsdale a little bit. But once again, Arsenal deny Leicester any momentum with another quick reply. Martinelli, tremendous work rate, wins the ball back for Arsenal shortly after the kickoff. 
and he finishes off the move with a very clinical left-footed finish in the bottom right corner from outside the box. Yeah, I, this one, this one, you know, maybe if not for the Jesus goal, this one would be my favorite goal of the day, just because it's one of those Gabriel Martinelli finishes where you're like, okay, he's like the real deal. Sometimes he can like have his off games where he dribbles at the at the right back, loses it, like doesn't find the guy, dribbles in circles, but. Today he was direct and made him pay when he got into those positions. Yeah, definitely. And that was just about all for Arsenal's home opener in the Premier League this season. 4-2 win for them. They are still perfect. Two games in. Top of the and league with Man City. There, Life's uh, looking if you good look, If you look at Arsenal's next five games, Arsenal schedule. Let's take a look here. Next week, Bournemouth away. Next week, Fulham at home. Those are two promoted sides. In the form right now, that in the form they're in right now, they should have no problem getting six points from six. Fulham is a tough one. Bournemouth is a no doubter. Fulham is tough because they're playing well right now, but they should be getting three points. Then Villa at home, United away, Arsenal at home, Brentford away, and then the North London derby. That's one, two, three, four, five, six games before the North London Derby. At home, by the way. And really, Brentford is the toughest game here. Maybe Aston Villa at home. But Brentford away is going to be tough. Just because of the, the ghosts of last season and the fact that Brentford are playing very well right now. But that's 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18. And they could easily take 16 points. 16 to 18 points in the next six games. It's a very favorable schedule right now, and this is one of those stretches that's going to make or break Arsenal's season, even this early. Yeah, absolutely, because you need... Arsenal are going to need a lot of momentum going into that really tough October, where I believe they play not only Spurs, but also Liverpool and City, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah, and so, honestly, I've always been a big fan of bunching those up, getting them out of the way. You don't want to, like get on a roll and then run into city like you might as well just roll through them so i think this is actually a favorable schedule all right well so far it is looking very very promising for Mikel arteta's men but the weekend just kept getting better from there so why don't you uh take us through it well in order of not um chronologicalness Mm -hmm. but in order of climacticness, we'll go into liverpool palace which was also a very exciting game i listened to this one Fully audio, so I was at the mercy of the Sirius XM crew. However, sounded like a pretty good game to me, and I listened all the ninety minutes. So, first thirty minutes, you know, it was going. It was pretty much what we expected, what we predicted last week. Um, Palace on a small Anfield field. Uh, Palace were going to pack it in. Liverpool were going to have the majority of the possession, but it was Palace that got off the on the board first. Eze with one of the better performances of the weekend, let alone better touches of the weekend, takes down a Goaita clearance like butter, then with his second touch beats Fabinho, and with his third touch slips in Wilfred Zaha, who finishes calmly at 1v1. This one was silently one of the goals of the weekend. Yeah, this is just a fantastic counterattack. And like I said last week, you know, be on the lookout for this as a Zaha partnership. And my words clearly have manifested because they looked like pretty much the only real danger for Palace, but how dangerous they were. And another thing to note is that this is the sixth consecutive Premier League game in which Liverpool have conceded first, which is mind-boggling, really. And I really don't have many theories for as to why it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, their team has undergone a little bit of reshaping. In the last window, losing Mane, bringing in an eighty million dollars signing. Obviously, none of those in the back. But uh, if when you break up the chemistry of this Salah Mane partnership, it I think it could have ripple effects. And you know, clearly we're seeing some of that early in the season. Mm-hmm. But Liverpool try to respond. Nothing gets through until the forty-fifth plus three in the first half. A chance for Darwin Nunez and Virgil van Dijk. Elliot plays a pinpoint diagonal to Darwin Nunez in behind the defense, who tries to take it off his chest but mishits the shot, and it loops right over Guaita and hits the far post, just dinking off the far post. 
ball eventually falls to Van Dyke, who makes an absolute mess of what was left of the chance. But that really was their best chance of the half. Yeah, it looked like a comedy of errors from Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly, it was only the beginning of Darwin Nunez's nightmare of a night. Yeah. And Van Dyke's chance, it wasn't that big of a chance, but just the fact that he just completely whiffed and slipped yeah. over his own feet was something that rival fans probably thoroughly enjoyed. But nonetheless, Crystal Palace won the up at the break. Yeah, can't ask for much more than that out of Vieira's men. And then the chaos happens in the 57th minute. Darwin Nunez off the back of a not-so-great 57 minutes to that point, going against a... Man of the match, Joachim Anderson performance to this point, just locking down Darwin Nunez, and it keeps going as he instigates Darwin Nunez into headbutting him, leaving the referee absolutely no choice but to send him packing. Liverpool go down to 10. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more to say other than the fact that Darwin Nunez just completely loses his head. Obviously, like you said, uh, Joachim Anderson had been shutting him down very well up to this point. It seemed just like... Darwin Nunez had finally boiled over, and he just really shat the bed on this one. And especially, not just in this game, but like we said before, you know, with the injuries coming up, or with the injuries in this team right now, they don't have a lot of depth, you know, going forward. Jota and Firmino, neither of them were on the bench in this game, I add. So, I mean, I think Firmino may be back for next week, but he's really handcuffing his team for the next couple weeks. Four minutes later, Luis Diaz did not have any uh, recollection of that Darwin Nunez red card as he dribbles through half of the Crystal Palace team, drags it across the 18-yard box, and finishes into the side netting. This one was pretty delightful, even though I watched, I didn't watch it. I saw it on audio, and then I saw it later on, uh, on Instagram. This was uh, quite a scrumptious goal. I think scrumptious is an understatement. I think... <laughs> It's probably goal of the season so far. I mean, he just absolutely cuts through the entire Crystal Palace defense. I mean, you'd think that, you know, Liverpool could have been playing with seven men and nothing would have changed the fact that Luis Diaz was scoring this goal. I mean, this was just absolutely world-class from him. And he, he's on my FPL bus team, and it certainly didn't fill me with confidence for this yeah. season going forward. He should have got some extra <laughs> class points for this one. I don't really yeah. agree with the FPL system, but... But nonetheless, I mean, you just have to admire this kind of goal because it is just start to yeah, finish. And it fantastic. just it shows you what he can do. And, you know, it's, he's not Sadio Mane, but he, he might get there eventually because that was, that was pretty class. Mm-hmm. I don't think you've ever seen Sadio Mane score a goal like this. I mean, obviously, <laughs> they're slightly different players. Yeah. Luis Diaz is clearly more flair. Yeah. I, I don't think he has played more than 50% of his passes actually looking at the player he's passing <laughs> to. So. This this may be true. I don't know if they keep stats on that, but this may be true. <laughs> uh, we continue for the on. Liverpool record for uh, <laughs> for uh, Bobby Firmino's no yeah. look uh, pass. Highest record. percentage of no look passes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, if Bobby Firmino and Luis Diaz play in the same team, just just like no visual communication <laughs> anywhere in the front. Line. <laughs> anyway, seventy eighth minute. We continue on. Wilfred Zaha has a chance to absolutely steal it, and. He really should have. Gets a low-driven cross to the back post. Opts to go with the outside of his right instead of his left. Uh, and just hits the outside of the post. This is something that a player of his quality should absolutely be finding that on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not the easiest of chances. I mean, it's a ball kind of like played in the air. But like you said, he has to put this in with his left foot. I mean, reaching forward with his right, trying to use like the outside of his foot. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a rookie mistake, and Wilfred Zaha certainly is no rookie to this game. And he should know better, and yeah. he's going to be thinking about that one when he puts his hat on the pillow, <laughs> even though he scored. <laughs> Especially the chance to take three points at Anfield. Um, yeah. Last 15 minutes of this game kind of fizzled out. Liverpool pressing with 10 men, but obviously handcuffed a little bit by the... Um, the loss of Darwin Nunez and Crystal Palace kind of willing to see out the 1-1 draw. Finished 1-1. Uh, Ethan said 4-1 Liverpool. I said 2-1 Liverpool. I think I got this one a little more right because I, I knew Liverpool were going to be frustrated. Obviously, I didn't predict Crystal Palace going down a man or Crystal Palace going up a man. But um, 
yeah I, I, again like i said it to you like earlier like when i said that uh selhurst park was smaller and anfield was also smaller and it's going to play into crystal palace's like athletic tr- like sit back and counterattack um like style of play i i wasn't kidding like people don't take into account the the field dimensions and this it was clear that even before the red card liverpool were very frustrated yeah definitely and to be fair you probably got this prediction a bit better than me i did not expect liverpool to be as frustrated as they were even if they didn't go down to 10 men they were never gonna win by a three goal margin Hmm. so yeah you know i hold my hands up but i still think liverpool aren't in too much trouble this season i still think that you know obviously dropping four points in the first two games of the season when you've had title races with man city for the last you know three four years i mean you know how crucial those kinds of points can be to form and palace too yeah it's it's one thing to like you know draw arsenal away or draw Mm -hmm. like villa away but like Fulham Palace, you know, Jurgen Klopp's looking at these first two games like, okay, like, it's six points or, like, we're in trouble. And they're in trouble. Yeah, but here's the thing. Like, with if your team is as good as Liverpool and City, you kind of beat whoever you want. Like, you can, you can almost, obviously, they don't pick and choose. But I don't see them being more likely to lose to a team like Fulham than a team like Arsenal. I mean, they've dropped more points at Fulham than they have against Arsenal. I mean, when was the last time Arsenal beat Liverpool or even drew to them? Uh, they drew like, them two years ago. Oh, right. The, Actually, oh, yeah. They're, yeah, Reece Nelson. Once they won the there. title and uh, everything yeah. went to shit. So, all right, I take that one back. But the point is, if you're as good as Liverpool, you know, it's not... You wouldn't be too worried that you're going to drop points to the big teams, if you're dropping points to the small teams, they can really, they really have the talent to beat whoever they want. It's kind of just whether it's their day or not. And to be fair, so far, it has not been their day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously a lot of game, a lot of season left, 36, two down, 36 to go. But uh, climbing up the climactic ladder, Ethan, do you want to take us into uh, quite a enjoyable game for non-Man United fans? I would absolutely love to go through this game because <laughs> this could be the most fun I've ever had watching a soccer game. I would have to second ever. that. Maybe not the most fun, but like definitely Just up in there. terms of like fun, not just like the best performance I've seen or like that brought me the most joy, just in terms of pure like fun laughter. Delight. Yeah. Just fun for the whole family. Really? <laughs> I mean, this is just absolute quality, and I'll get into it. Ten minutes in, Josh De Silva opens the scoring for Brentford. And actually, no, let me just backtrack, and let's just <laughs> give a bit of context going into this game. United <laughs> just had their worst season in recent history, and then they go ahead, and after all this rebuilding over the summer, new coach, couple of new players, they go and lose at home first game to Brighton. We know the deal. There is so much pressure on this United team to bounce back. Yep. Now let's get into <laughs> Brentford opening the scoring 10 minutes in. De Silva picks the ball up about 20 yards out and hits a low-driven shot pretty much right at David De Gea, who just lets the ball squeeze through his grass yes. into the back of the net. An absolute nightmare start for Manchester United. This is kind of what happened. This is like what happens when you're in U8s. And your primary goalie like starts crying because he doesn't want to play goalie anymore, and you have to put somebody else in goal. This <laughs> is the type of goalkeeping quality that you get from somebody like that. And just, I really wish this was the last goal and not the first goal. I really wish the best goal was the first goal, but you know, beggars can't be choosers. I guess. Well, I guess, I guess I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, rival fans will take that any day of the week, and. It only got worse for them because eight minutes later, De Gea plays an absolute hospital pass to Christian Eriksen, who is quickly dispossessed by Matthias Jensen in his own penalty area. Jensen just takes a touch, gives De Gea the eyes, and coolly dispatches Brentford's second goal of the game. Yeah. I mean, this is just a comedy of errors from everyone. So, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what else can you say? The, 
if you're Eric Ten Hag and you're like trying to lift this team and it's going directly in the opposite direction, I don't know what you try next, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's got to try something. Yeah, from Ten Hag's point of view here, like, there's nothing you can do about just pure stupid decision making. Yeah. And just pure lack of quality. I mean, and that's what these first two goals were. Nothing to do with tactics, really. I mean, yet Man United have been on the front foot for most of these 18 minutes. Just there was just no potency in attack, no real guile from them. And then in their own third, they were absolutely miserable. And like I said, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse for them because in the 30th minute, Brentford get a corner and Bumo lofts a corner towards the back post, towards Ivan Tony, where he just heads it back across goal. And Ben Me beats Lissandro Martinez in the air to head in for 3 0. The nightmare continues for Manchester United and more specifically for Lissandro Martinez here. Yeah. Lissandro Martinez, uh, the United Trey, maybe best defender in the world. <laughs> not, not today. Uh, this was. <laughs> When you're a center back that's not at least 6-2 in the Premier League, you're going to suffer a little bit. And this is exactly where you're going to suffer against these, you know, teams that feed off of set pieces. And, you know, forget about the first two goals and the fact that they were, you know, somewhat, at least the second one was a defensive error where you got to play out of the back a little bit quicker. This one was just pure, like, brute get the ball out and uh when you're playing a center back who's under 6-2 this happens this is a sacrifice you make so three nothing yeah the worst thing you can do as a new player in the prem is let the english media be right about their criticisms about you and second game of the season being directly beaten because of your height and it resulting in a goal especially the third goal going down 3-0 and 30 minutes to brentford it just seems like it can't get any worse. And then five minutes later, it did get worse. It did get worse. <laughs> <laughs> it did get worse. Jensen's long ball for Tony sends Brentford on a 2v2 counterattack. Tony plays a perfect first-time ball into the path of Brian and Bumo, who gets across Luke Shaw and clinically steers it past David De Gea. I mean, 4-0 to Brentford. It's just unbelievable. There's no it's words. It's the stuff you dream of, Ethan. This is like... Even when Arsenal were in banter FC phases, it wasn't 4-0 to Brentford. Like, we had some, you know, Unai Emery class. This is just brutal. This is like, you know, when, when we said Arsenal were going down, we didn't think they were going down. But mm-hmm. I, this, is a, this, this United team has some young pieces, and it's got some veterans who may not want to stick around. Cristiano Ronaldo. Like, are they going down? No. But they are very realistically finishing below eighth in the table right now. But we'll see. This is like, just like the fourth goal itself is like, you know, if they push, if Bruno Fernandes like lifts the team and they make it 3-1, you're like, okay, they got three goals. One of them was a complete goalkeeper howler. The other one was a missed play in... Uh, defensive possession and the third one was because we have a center back who's 5-8 like it's the fourth goal that was a result of like a lack of effort at the back on a counterattack. that really says to me that this team is contempt with losing and yeah when you bring I mean, in a, a manager like Ten Hag who's supposed to bring this mentality of winning is the only option that's you know three goal that going down three nil to Brentford is bad, but if you look at the you know intangibles, it's it, it it happens. But it's the fourth goal for me that really rings the alarm bells. Yeah, I mean, it's not just about the results. You lose the first two games of the season, anybody can come back from that. It's the eye test, and we've just seen absolutely nothing from this yeah. United team. I mean, they're yet to put a goal in by themselves. And like, we, like we've compared before with, you know, the Arsenal team that, you know, lost their first three games last season, it wasn't this bad. And there were still, you know, times where you could see what Arsenal were trying to do. 
And they also weren't losing, you know, well, to be fair, they did lose in this exact fixture. But they also lost their, you know, first three games to, I mean, the reigning, you know, UEFA Champions League champions and the reigning Premier League champions. I mean, there was still, you know, not real reason to panic after three games. But from what you've seen from this United team so far, I'd be very hard-pressed not to panic as a United fan. Yeah. Agreed. Is there really any more to say? Like, you can't... uh, That hasn't already been said already in the media. Like, they they just... Not only do they look poor, but they look uninspired. And you can't have both. (laughs) You really can't. And and who do they bring in to try to turn this around? Is there anyone uh, they they can bring in? Their transfer targets are, like... Not yeah, even. Oh my Band-Aids. God! Since... Like you say, you say you know band aids don't fix bullet holes. They're not even bringing in band aids. They're bringing in like, like a sliver of aquaphor. <laughs> it's like yeah, I don't even know. Like you're basically bringing in, you're signing these players so that you can look at your fans in the eyes and say we tried. That's it. And what you're not even trying really. Like Deong's off the table essentially. You're not bringing any in anyone of quality at this point. This late in the window, everyone's been snapped up. Unless you want to pay ridiculous mm-hmm. fees, which I guess they can do, but you know Woodward does not doesn't exactly splash the cash nowadays. So who knows? yeah, I mean the amount of players that they've been linked to since this defeat to Brentford has been immense, and they've even been linked to Elon Musk. I'm sure you've seen that on <laughs> uh, on Twitter. I mean, if, he, if he can play striker, like I don't know, can't hurt at this. Point. And also like the stuff with like the Glazer, like all the Glazer out stuff, like. I didn't see Glaze- the Glazers spill that Josh De Silva goal. Like, I didn't see them play that <laughs> pass into Christian Eriksen. Like, yes, of yeah. course, the owners can be doing more. But how can you blame that performance on them? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's... I mean, it's really just, like, you know, fuel to the fire at this point. But mm. Anyway, as much as I'd love to talk about Man United for the next half an hour, we need to move on to the most climactic game of not only this week, but maybe of the next few. Chelsea 2, Tottenham Hotspur 2. We start off in the 18th minute with a Kai Havertz missed opportunity. I'm going to sound like a broken record today, let me tell you. <laughs> All Chelsea at this point. Sterling gets played down to the end line to, down the end line to the right uh, touchline. Cleverly backheels it to an oncoming Havertz who tries to go for a tight angle shot but drags it just wide. This one was kind of a half chance for Havertz. He had one in this game, which we'll get to, which was a little bit more straightforward. But, you know, when you're when you have a true striker, which Havertz is not, and I've criticized Chelsea already this season for not having a true striker, they get better efforts from these chances because this was a chance. Um, But they get better efforts or they cut it onto their left and finish. But this is a result of a non-experienced, non-number nine trying to take a chance, in my opinion. Well, to give credit to Havertz here, um, you said he dragged this shot wide, but actually this was saved by Loris. Was it? Yeah, it was. Got a little and toenail it, on it or whatever? Loris did get a, get a foot on it. So it okay. wasn't a bad finish. It was actually just a very good save from Loris. But I take it back. as we'll get into, there were chances which he certainly did miss yeah. in this game. So um, I'll let him off the hook for that one, though. Yep. Very, very shortly after, Kaladu Koulibaly gets off the mark for Chelsea. Kukurella, it wasn't Kukurella, was it? Not at this point. No, it was Kukurella. It was, it was Kukurella's outswinging corner that found Koulibaly completely unmarked, which I'm not sure how Koulibaly at any point in his career has been unmarked in the box. Uh, but he was unmarked this time, and not it didn't fall to his head, but it fell to his feet for a thumping volley that, if he got it on target, Loris would have no chance, and he got it on target, and Loris had no chance. One nothing at Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody, Chelsea fans, Napoli fans, any soccer fans around the globe thought that Koulibaly had this in his locker, but he just <laughs> catches this absolutely perfectly. I couldn't believe when it hit the back of the net. Because yeah. it's one of those where, like, where as he's, like, gearing up for it, you think, like, come on, like, the center back's going to try this shit? Like, this is going into Rosehead. But... Yeah. <laughs> Gotta be fair to him, this was an unbelievable volley. And again, just like Jesus had a dream home debut for Arsenal, this was arguably a better goal, yeah. you could say. And yeah, perfect start for Chelsea, who have completely dominated the game up to this yeah, point. Yeah, the first 20 minutes were all Chelsea. Um, 
But two minutes later, young Ryan, or maybe he's not young anymore. He used to be young. I have no idea how young Still he is young. now. <laughs> Still pretty young, I'm sure. Uh, Ryan Sessegnon gets a chance for Spurs. He finds himself in acres of space behind the defense, literally acres of space, um, but takes a bad first touch, doesn't allow him to cut in on the on his right like he would like to curl into the far corner, ends up taking a left-footed shot at a bad angle, but Mendy does well to close down the tight-angled shot. And this was, you know, if you get a, a more experienced finisher on this, probably 1-1. But since, you know, it's their left wing back, he kind of spoiled it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a rare chance so far in this game in the first 25 minutes for Tottenham. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a chance that they really needed to take because they were getting absolutely bossed in this game, and yeah. it really continued throughout the rest of the half. Yes, uh, the rest of the half was all Chelsea. Nothing too noteworthy, um, which is rare for this game to go a full 30, 40 minutes without anything of note. But we go into the 60th minute in the second half. Raheem Sterling gets a chance. Some swift passing allows Loftus-Cheek to go 1v1 on the right-hand side. I was unaware of Loftus-Cheek's 1v1 ability until this game. Uh, but he tries to cut in and shoot, shots blocked, finds Sterling in the box, takes a couple quick touches, sets himself up on his right with a pretty, like, wide breadth of opportunities. He could just go left, he can go right, but he ends up skying it right over the bar. And uh, some people have been criti- criti- critical of Raheem Sterling's finishing in the last couple of years. This one certainly didn't help. Yeah, I mean, this is what Raheem Sterling does best. I mean, well, not the skying over the bar part, yeah. but... <laughs> I mean, just slaloming through defenses. And I really like Sterling's patience here because if he takes a shot before, you know, any of these fake shots that he does in this move, it's easily getting blocked. And this one, he, you know, he opened it up really well for himself and he just couldn't quite keep his chest over the ball here because he does have to get it over. I forget who's on the ground during this play because it was just a frenzy in the box. But he does need to lift it a little bit just to get over a sliding challenge, but he just puts it a bit too high. And that would have been a fantastic goal from Sterling. Uh, but no time to lose. Harry Kane right back down the other end. Chelsea's defense caught absolutely napping as Kane is unmarked, takes a touch on his left, finds himself in. But uncharacteristic for Kane, he dragged this harmlessly wide. It looked like he almost took a misstep. Yeah, I was... Out of all the crazy things that happened this weekend, this was the thing that left me most stunned because you bet your life on Kane just slotting this into the bottom yeah. corner. 1v1, I mean, this is what he lives for. I mean, like I said, he's, he's who I think is going to be the golden boot winner this year. And he just puts it wide and he couldn't even believe it. I mean, this as soon as he like, hit it too, he knew it, that, it was, that he dragged it. It wasn't even like a... His shots almost looked like, you know, guided missiles at times. He put mm. no power on this. It looked like he took, like, yeah. an overstep and, like, hit under the ball. Like, it just looked like a really, really poor display of finishing, which, you know, he'll miss chances fine, but rarely does he get the technique wrong, and he got the technique very wrong. Yeah, it's almost like he was just thinking about it too much because, yeah. to be fair, like, out of all the goals that Kane scores, he doesn't score many just, like, 1v1 breakaways because he's not really just, a, you but, know, yeah. playing behind, like, kind of striker because usually all, his, all of his finishes are just one-time, like, extinctive, just quick touch out of your feet, just slot at bottom corner, like, that, those sort of finishes. It almost seems like he was just thinking too much about it and just dragged it wide. However... Spurs would not have to wait too long to get their equalizer. Jorginho gets stripped of the ball trying to dribble out of the 18-yard box. A poor decision on his part. Ben Davies ends up getting the ball, laying it off to Hoybier, who hits it first time, low and hard, 21 yards out, sliding it all, all the way across the beautiful Stamford Bridge turf into Mendy's far corner, 1-1. Yeah, it's almost easy to forget with all the chaos that surrounded this goal that this was a fantastic finish from Hoybier. Yeah, it was. I mean, he just absolutely drills this into the far corner. And to be the keeper as tall as, you know, Mendy, who has such like, you know, just a wide reach, that is really difficult from yeah. longer range. So we shouldn't take that away from him. But the goal probably should have been taken away from him because yeah. the whole entire, you know, play ensued because of the no call 
um, from the Rodrigo Bentoncourt challenge on Kai Havertz, which was just a very, very clear foul and probably yellow card. Yeah. But it was the Tuchel um, rage that brought him to the middle of the manager's boxes to the fourth official. Uh, and then Antonio Conte took that opportunity to celebrate in Thomas Tuchel's face. They ended up yelling at each other. Both benches got involved. An entire scuffle ensued, and uh, a rivalry was born. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these these are the things that the fans love to see. It's one thing if, you know, players are going at, like, you know, that happens every week. But, you know, the manager's going at and people, you know, get the nostalgia of Arsene Wenger versus Jose Mourinho or Arsene Wenger versus Fergie, all these great, you know, managerial rivalries. Like, that's what, you know, galvanizes the fans, really. And this was just very entertaining to watch. But the game went on. Now the tension much, much higher than it was before. Kai Havers gets the chance in the 75th minute to take the lead. A Reese James whipped ball around knee height towards Kai Havertz, who did well to lose his marker, but not so well to get the ball on target. He ends up missing the entire net from point-blank range. Thomas Tuchel looks almost like praying to the heavens, why, why, why must I suffer? <laughs> but. Kai Havertz, you know, I said it before, lack of a number nine is going to hurt this team, and it, it didn't end up hurting them in this game. Actually, it might have, because they didn't get three points, but <laughs> this was one of those games where you're like, would they have won this with Lukaku? You know, he didn't have a good season, but at least he's a number nine, right? And he probably finishes this, so. Yeah, like I said before, I mean, I let Kai Havertz off the hook with that first chance in this game, but there's nowhere to hide on this one. I mean, this Reese James cross is... Kevin De Bruyne esque. I have no idea. Yeah, no part of me was expecting this ball to reach Kai Havertz when it got to his foot, but the replay showed that he was in the middle of the goal, six yards out. All he has to do is just redirect it, and he just gets it completely wrong. And like you said, he's just just doesn't seem like Chelsea's number nine. And very rightly, Tuchel is not letting anyone take. Uh, the cursed Chelsea number nine shirt. So even though no yeah. one's going to be able to wear the number nine, someone needs to embody yeah. it. Well, lucky for Kai Havertz, it was only a couple minutes later that Reese James found the go-ahead goal. Kulishevsky tr- caught trying to break out into the classic Spurs counterattack. Uh, but as he loses it, the defense is ill-prepared to defend. Two quick passes lead to a wide-open Reese James, who all he needs to do is smash it home from point-blank range, and that's exactly what he does. After this goal, Thomas Tuchel, with the intensity that's in the air, runs straight past the Spurs bench down the right-hand sideline, celebrating with the fans, pumping his fists, and uh, Conte would later admit that he would have tripped Thomas Tuchel <laughs> had he seen it, but his back was turned. Yeah, lucky for the footballing world. You love seeing this stuff spill over into the into the <laughs> socials as well. But yeah, I mean this this two hole run down the sideline was pure like prime Jose Mourinho esque right here. So about fifteen minutes go by. Obviously Tottenham pushing to get their equalizer, and eventually, in the most climactic way possible, with almost the last touch of the game. They get it. Perisic's whipped corner finds the head of Harry Kane just after the last whipped corner. Glance just over the bar. Harry Kane, just a glancing header, nestles in the back of the net right after a, re- a slight grazing of Reese James's knee. Very important in this game, Reese James was. Which makes it 2-2. Harry Kane celebrates with the away fans. Stamford Bridge shook. And... You know, this game didn't deserve a draw. I think Spurs, uh, I mean, Chelsea probably deserved three points. But, you know, with all the chaos, it kind of seemed like it had draw written all over it. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that Spurs will admit that they stole a point from Sanford Bridge, that they really didn't deserve it. And Tuchel said in the post-match that, I mean, his team absolutely deserved three points. Once again, there's more controversy with this goal because of uh, the play before where... uh, Christian Romero pulled down Cucurella by his hair. Now, one thing I will say is that a lot of people are saying it should have been a red card. I don't necessarily agree that it should should have been a red. I don't think there's enough there 
for a straight red card. But nonetheless, the ref has to see it on the previous play and, yeah. you know, give a foul the other way. Especially when he went to the monitor. Like, they went to the monitor, saw it, and didn't call it back. Like I, Well, that's the thing. You can't do that with VAR. And that's, you know, that's the tough thing about it because, obviously, what would be justified is they see that there was a foul there. And then, okay, well, it's not a red card, but we'll call the foul because that's what's fair. But again, you just can't do that because that's a slippery slope where, you know, now you're just VARing like individual foul calls. So you can't really do that. So I agree with the decision that it wasn't a red card. And from that point on, after it happened, yes, you know, nothing should have held back Spurs from scoring that equalizer. But I mean, Anthony Taylor, who had an absolute horror show of a game here, not just from a Chelsea yeah. fan's perspective or an <laughs> Arsenal fan's idea. perspective, who hate Spurs, but... Yeah. No, Anthony Taylor had a shocker here, and again, you know, it cost Chelsea. And with that, it rounds out a wide girth of uh, Premier League content from this week, but we'll move swiftly on to next week's content. You got your goal picks, Ethan? I do have my goal picks. Uh, you know, last week you did your picks first, so this week I'll do mine. Or at least should we go over uh, what happened last week with our uh, goal picks? Yes, yes, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So. I the players I had were Danny Ings, Darwin Nunez, and since Brayden blocked my son pick, he gave me Kiefer Moore, who I probably had a bit too high hopes for. I thought, you know what? Like, you know, he's really good in the air. Like, maybe if they get, you know, a counterattack. Yeah, no, it wasn't really against close. City. Yeah, yeah. City. they had like thirteen percent possession. Yeah. Literally, if they had just one cross during that thirteen percent possession, <laughs> Kiefer Moore got in the end of it. I thought maybe. But no, he didn't get a goal. I did get one goal out of my three players, and that was from Danny Ings. Aston Villa played Everton. He got the opening goal. It was a very nice goal. Took it very well. Yeah. Um, but that was the only goal from him. Darwin Nunez did a lot of things. None of them were scoring goals. <laughs> and Keeper Moore didn't do anything. So one goal for me. And then, Brian, why don't you get into um, your picks? Yeah, for me, I had De Bruyne, Bamford, and Saka. Bamford went down and like the first 15 minutes with an injury. Uh, Saka, despite the four goals for Arsenal, did not get on the end of anything as it was Martinelli and Jesus and uh, Xhaka, not Saka, that got in on the action. But De Bruyne scored maybe the goal of the weekend. I mean, Luis Diaz is up there, certainly, but no. Oh, I, I thought was... De Bruyne would get an opportunity to score, and I was certainly right. Um, I, I feel like I should get one and a half for this one <laughs> just because of the quality, but, you know, we'll stick to the one. Uh, so 1-1 one, one after one week, still tightly contested. Uh, but I'll get into my picks first. All right, I have my blocks ready, so. All right. So this week, I have first uh, Mohamed Salah. I'm just praying you don't block him. Uh, just a good match. Like, I, he's just going to score the majority of the weeks, and if I can slip one Mohamed Salah past you, hopefully it's this week. Jamie Vardy. I picked this week. I think he's due for a goal. Uh, top scorer at, at Leicester. Most likely to score a goal at Leicester. Um, although they haven't had great performances, they've performed a little better offensively than I thought pre, uh, prior it, in the preseason. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go with Vardy. And again, I'm going to go with Kevin De Bruyne because he's a fucking stud. And I'm rewarding him for his goal last week with a pick this week. So did I get blocked? I blocked Jamie Vardy for you. Okay. I, oh, I'll take Salah, honestly. <laughs> my other two picks were Luis Diaz. I'm so pissed because you went for the obvious one. <laughs> I thought you'd be yeah. just a little more subtle and go for Diaz, but... Versus psychology. I guess not. On. And then my third pick was Bukayo Saka, and you absolutely trolled mm. the shit out of me when you said I'm going to go again with De Bruyne. When you said oh, again, because yeah. I know you picked Saka last week. I thought <laughs> I was going two for three. Go for it. But... Unfortunately not, but I'll definitely take the one. So yeah, I did block Vardy. Uh, so hold on, now I need to Kiefer Moore. You're not gonna give me Kiefer Moore? Nah, Kiefer Moore is too good. I like him too much. I'll. Uh... <laughs> he should be the honorary pick. <laughs> nah, Kiefer Moore is my guy. He's finishing top three, uh, Golden Boot this year. Just you wait. So, you know, while I go through the fixtures or at least look at them, I will do my picks. This week, I'm sure you have your blocks ready. Yep. So my first pick this week is Jamie Vardy. <laughs> um, okay. Hopefully you didn't do the same thing as me where you 
both pick and block him. But yeah, I just like you, I really like this matchup. Uh, I think Leicester have been very good going forward, maybe if not defensively. And I think he's due for a goal. So he's my first pick. Also similar to you, I'm going to double up on last week. Hopefully don't block him again. Hyungman Son. Um, I want to get a Spurs. I'm sure you picked at least one Spurs player uh, this week. Home against Wolves. You know, probably expecting a big bounce back from a pretty disappointing performance at the bridge where despite getting a draw, they were completely bossed. So hopefully mm-hmm. he didn't go for humans on again. And my third pick is Ollie Watkins. Um, Crystal Palace uh, Villa are playing against. Um, to be honest, I don't love all these matchups in terms of like goal scoring for some reason. I just don't see a lot of goals in a lot of these games. I would have gone for an Arsenal player, but it was just too scary. So I just decided to go with Ollie Watkins. He's had a very good start to the season. I don't think he's scored yet, but he's had a couple of assists. So he is my third pick. Tell me what you got. You can have a moment. Yes. I didn't, uh, I didn't block Vardy. Um, I didn't block Sun because I don't know. I probably should have blocked a, at least one Spurs player, but I didn't block any Spurs players. I I I went with Salah, Jesus, and Holland. Just got the big boys. Just in case you tried some sneaky on me. Um, but you can have them all. I I the Ollie Watkins pick I don't like. I think Palace Villa has nil nil written all over it to be honest. Um, but the other ones, I mean, Youngman Son's always a danger, and going against Wolves who have leaked a lot recently. Hmm. Okay. Uh, all right. Goal picks out of the way. Wait, hold on. I still need to give you. Let's your go player. into. Oh, you got to give me my player. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can do it off screen, off camera, if you want. But. All right. Well, I'm. I just need to figure out who's been the starting striker for. Uh, um, Nottingham Forest. Oh wait, no, not Nottingham Forest. They're playing Everton. They could score. And I'll figure it out later. All right. <laughs> Let's just move on. Um. Two predictions for next week. We're going to go with Man United, Liverpool, and Newcastle versus City. Starting off with Newcastle versus City. Ethan, what do you got? I have City winning 3-1 to one in this game. I think mm. they will concede their first goal of the season. Not really any groundbreaking stuff. But it's not too much more complicated than I think City are probably two goals better right now than Newcastle. Newcastle, I think, have had the... Pretty good starts of the season. They had kind of a snooze fest at Brighton, but Brighton are a tough team to play against. Obviously, I'm high on them this season. I have them finishing eighth in my table. So I think they'll mm-hmm. give City a run for their money, but in the end, City are just going to outclass them. So, three to one. This game is at um, St. James, mm-hmm. which I think, well, obviously plays um, into Newcastle's hands a little bit more, but... Um, it's tough because this is one of the games where I think Holland could excel because Newcastle like to get high a little bit, but he he was very unimpressive last week. He got an assist, but he had like eight touches or something. Um, I think City are going to get three points, but I think it's going to be one to nothing. Oh, all right. Just very cagey. Obviously, City are going to dominate possession, but Newcastle are not going to make it easy for him. Eddie Howe has a ton, a ton of Premier League experience. The, I, I think this is going to be a very, very close game. Newcastle will have chances to take points from this game, I guarantee it. Um, but one nothing City. They'll get three points, and they will not concede a goal. All right. United versus Liverpool. I'll take this one first, because you went last time. First, uh, last time, Ethan. Okay. United versus Liverpool. This is a tricky one. Because on paper, right now, this should be 6-0 Liverpool. But Liverpool are not playing up to their normal standard right now. And I think that this game is kind of just what United, obviously not what just United needed, but they kind of need a big fixture. You know, clearly Ten Hag isn't motivating them, so maybe it has to be something external. It has to be, like, this, you know, big six game. So I think United will be more up for it. I do not think they'll be taking points, however. 
it's it's just very very tricky because this could be nil nil honestly uh, like United could just play with everything they have because it's Anfield and they're at home I believe yeah it's at Old Trafford <sighs> I'm gonna go two nothing Liverpool three one Liverpool that's what I'll go three one Liverpool. Yeah, this is. But United score the first. United are gonna score the first goal. Ah, okay. I'll predict that. Well, this is an extremely difficult game to predict, um, because both of these teams have very much underperformed. Clearly, Liverpool are the better team on paper, but they haven't shown it in their last two games. United, despite how bad they've been, you're expecting that in a rivalry game at home after what has been the worst possible start that they will be up for it that they have no choice but to be up for it but again they're just not as good a team as liverpool liverpool should have either jota or firmino back in their front line um mm-hmm. and all of them are capable well, jota's injured actually so i think it's firmino yeah uh yeah i think firmino should be back by then but it's still going to be a very tight affair and we've seen even though Liverpool absolutely smashed United in both games home and away last season, I think yeah. this will be similar to years past where they're typically low-scoring affairs. So I'm going to say just 1-0 to Liverpool. 1-0 to Liverpool. All right, the predictions are in the books. And we'll move on to our outro segment, Overreactions versus realities we have a couple statements here that we have to decide whether they're overreactions two weeks into the season or potential realities for the rest of the season Mm -hmm. i will go first manchester united will finish below 10th i'm gonna say that that is an overreaction okay um even though they look like a team that's gonna be fighting for relegation uh I think that there's just too many good players in that squad to finish mm. in the bottom half of the table. Now, in years past, that quality on paper has never has been proven wrong time and time again. But I truly think that um, with Cristiano Ronaldo probably staying just because they won't be able to find a suitor. And they just have some quality players in that team. Jane Sancho, Bruno Fernandes. These are all great players who just can't get it together at the moment because United are in pure chaos right now. But it is a very, very long season. Two games is not many games. And you know that I'm not one to overreact. I will say that it's definitely possible that they finish outside the big six or the top six. Um, but I just can't see them. I couldn't be confident saying that they finished bottom half of the table. All right. I'm going to say this is an overreaction. Uh, I don't know. It's tough because I think they're going to finish somewhere between 8th and 12th. I think if this was the end, I don't know. Because you could look at it one way. If this, is the end, if this was the end of Ten Hag's tenure, if he had, was a two-year coach by now at Manchester United, Oh, he's going to get fired by Christmas, and they'll bring in someone else and they'll get a new manager bounce, and maybe they'll finish eighth. However, this is the beginning of Ten Hag's tenure. He could completely blow this thing, and he'd probably still be in charge come March. Yeah. So, maybe it's just a bad fit, Ten Hag and United. you got too many egos in this team. Ten Hag is much better suited coaching young players who are trying to make it at Ajax. And and you got like veterans over there like Daily Blind, who like he works very well with. And now you got he has to deal with guys like Ronaldo and Jaden Sancho who are getting paid four hundred thousand billion dollars a week, and you can't tell them to shut the fuck up because they have these egos. It, maybe it's just a bad fit. I'm gonna say this is a slight slight overreaction, but they could very easily finish like ninth or tenth. You got, a over, you got an overreaction for us? Yes, I do. Man City and Arsenal right now are the top two teams in the Premier League, and it will stay that way come May. Well, right now, 
it just seems like Liverpool can't get out of their own way. Obviously, I think, not obviously, but I think the only, I said Arsenal were coming third before the season. It's on, it's on recording. I said that. So, obviously, I think they're going to make a title push. And I think the only reason that Man City and Arsenal will not be the top two teams come May are one of two things. One, Europa League. City have the depth to deal with Champions League. We knew that already. Uh, Europa League could stunt Arsenal's growth just a little bit, as it typically does with these like fringe top four teams. Or the other thing would be Liverpool. You know, regaining form, which is very, 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 very possible. Uh, I think this is a reality because Arsenal right now, I, I said it before, I'll say it again. Arsenal could lose at home to Liverpool and away to Liverpool. But the fact that they're going to Palace, putting in good performances and taking points, home to Leicester, putting in good performance and comfortably taking three points, like it's really not about beating Liverpool, it's about winning these games away that you don't typically win. And I think Arsenal kind of have that, that trait in them this year. So I'm going to say this is a reality. I'm going to say that as of right now, it's just an overreaction. Just because, again, two games into the season, there's just not enough to rule out um, that Liverpool will be back to their usual ruthless selves. Um, because in terms of quality, Liverpool have Arsenal beat, not by that much. The gap isn't nearly as much as it has been in recent years, but they still have Arsenal beat in most positions on the field. And again, you know, people really like Spurs this year. I think Spurs and Arsenal are almost dead even. But to me, it still feels like City and Liverpool's Premier League, you know, to battle out for. I just don't think that Arsenal are there yet. But right now, they're certainly playing like it. But there's not enough evidence so far to say that they will beat out Liverpool in terms of position this season. I uh, I can't necessarily disagree with that from what we've seen the last four seasons. But uh, and with that, we'll round out the match week two podcast. Hopefully, we can look for a little some a continuation of the quality we've had from a neutral point of view. In the coming weeks, certainly the first two have not disappointed. But with that, we will sign off. Adios.